This is literally just me. And I have wine. I know. It's fucking for great. It, it's, I'm just going to read you a story and you're just going to keep doing what you're doing. You put me in covers, gave me alcohol, and then told me to interrupt you. That, Done. I mean... Done. <laughs> you're listening to Inside the Aluminum Tube. This podcast has adult language and sometimes contains graphic descriptions of accidents and incidents, often resulting in death. If you're scared to fly, proceed with caution. Sir, are your pants meowing? Yeah, you interested? Pull up. No, the plane is about to crash. Wind shear. You're looking a little anxious, Kent. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Increase climb. Only if you really need me to. Threw his clothes off. Had an accident. Got his tree and went night night. 50, 40. Oh, so like some dumb bro shit. Okay, cool. Cool, 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 cool. 30, 20. I'm sorry. I'm a little overwhelmed by what you just said. 10. Hence being poked in the rear uh, as a man in the middle of the aisle. Climb now. Given the context that you've given me, this does not sound like a good plan. Clear of conflict. So I'm going to read the intro now. Okay. Okay, this is an aviation history podcast. Oops, I'm going to start again. <laughs> Welcome back to the Inside the <laughs> Aluminum Tube. I'm Shannon Baker. This is an aviation history podcast that looks at events in aviation like air disasters, accidents, incidents, mishaps, and sometimes just the history of aviation and airplanes and the people that surround them. Oh, yeah. Sometimes it's crazy and wacky, unexpected. I love it. I'm your host. I'm the creator of the podcast, but be sure to follow me on Instagram and Twitter, both at Aluminum Tube. You can also email me at aluminumtubepodcast at gmail.com. If you've listened to other episodes, you know that I have a co-host. Their role is to ask questions that'll help you better understand what actually happened. My co-host today... Oh, wait a minute. I don't know your last name, Erica. You don't know my last name. So my name is Erica Mulvaney, and I'm one of the most awesome people you will ever meet. You're welcome. Absolutely. I'm so <laughs> thrilled to be here with you. To start with, we're friends, and we've been friends for a long time, Absolutely. like years. But tell me about yourself. Tell me, like, just give a give give a quick overview. Okay, Where sure. Where you're born, whatever. I don't. What what you had for breakfast? It doesn't just really matter. The things, all the things. Just give me some things. Okay, I'll give you some things. Um, so basically, uh, I've been in healthcare for as long as I can remember, and I've seen some pretty cool stuff. People without their heads, and like people who stub their toe at three o'clock in the morning, who actually don't need my services. So that's awesome. They just want a company. They do, and a good story and a free ride to the ER. Um, and also drugs. It's usually drugs. Um, uh, of course. Of course. When in question, it's probably drugs. Absolutely. And I can't give them to them, so they get upset. Anyways, I do art in my spare time. Pretty chill, pretty laid back. Definitely have a potty mouth, so put your ear biscuits on if that's kind of Did thing. Did you say ear biscuits? I said ear biscuits. <laughs> I loved it. I'm, I'm like the mom who will bake you cookies and also tell you to go fuck yourself. That's pretty much it in a nutshell. Um, I love hearing interesting things about history. I'm a super nerd. Love science I know that. And I knew chemistry. that. That's why we're friends. I know. I'm so glad we're friends. Uh, me too. Like, if you're not friends with him, you should be friends with him because it's it's truly an honor. He's an awesome person. Is that your phone ringing? It is not. That was colors. Okay, that is weird. Every night. <laughs> okay, because we're here on um, on NAS Jacks. Yes. Right. So we're here at the Naval Air Station. So that's Erica. So Erica Mulvaney's with me today. And today we are doing the first episode that I've ever done. It's a biography. Ooh. So. Tell me more. I tell you when the date is. Okay. And then we start from there. Okay. January 26th, 1892. Okay. Okay. Good long. So, you know, not a great time uh, for people in general, but like. Yeah. Yes. I mean, okay. I, 18, it's a long time ago. Quite a bit. About 100 years before I was born, so that's nice. You know who was born then? 
Who? So Bessie Coleman was born in Atlanta City, Texas. Wait, where? Atlanta City, Texas. So in Texas. Yes. But named after Atlanta. I don't even know when Atlanta was established, but it was called Atlanta City. So I, I don't have the information about when Atlanta was established. I feel like we should consult the people naming our towns and figure out the fuck they were thinking. I agree. But it's a very small town and it's located in northeastern portion of Texas. So it's it's in okay. East Texas. Okay. So it, yeah, I know where that's at. Yeah. So it's in the, it's in East Texas. So she was the third youngest of, get this, 13 children. Jesus Christ. Okay. Born to Susan <laughs> and George Coleman and they worked as sharecroppers. Okay, okay. Okay. Do you know, you, you may know what a sharecropper is. Absolutely. I'm going to give our listeners a quick overview of sharecropping. A history just in lesson. Case. Got it. Yeah, just a quick lesson. Sharecropping is a system where laborers live on land that they don't own. And what they do is they give a portion of the crop that they raise to the landowner in exchange for the right to live and work there. Absolutely. They get to sell their share of the crop that they get to keep. That's the money that they live on. It's... Honestly, a system as old as humans, it's supposed to theoretically benefit both parties. Theoretically, air quotes. Okay. Yeah. But realistically, it's close to indentured servitude. Uh, you know, that's the word I was thinking of. Yeah. And I didn't want to say it because I'm like, oh, at least they get paid. But like, not really. So that's nice. Be- yeah. And I say that because the tenant could legally leave, legally, mm-hmm. air quotes. <laughs> but they didn't have any money. And if they left the land, they didn't have any land. Yeah. So like leaving was like not Really an option. An option. Yeah. It came down to basically sustenance farming, right? So they're able to like barely live on the portion of the crop that they don't give to the landowner. That sounds exciting and yeah. also very unpleasant. <laughs> yeah, very unpleasant. <laughs> Although in this case, the Coleman's were able to save a little bit of money. Okay. And they were able to exit the sharecropping system, which is very unusual for sharecroppers. Yeah, I would say so. Like usually people live and die by the sharecroppers and it's like, passed down because nobody can afford to do anything to else. get out yeah. yeah exactly and so they were a- actually able to buy a little property and we're getting there oh, on the them. money that they saved okay but them. i don't know how you save money with how many kids did i say they had Thir- 13 wow that woman's poor uterus i know oh my <laughs> god be- but back to bessie her mother <laughs> oh boy so her mother um is from african descent okay and her father was at least 50 percent native american okay we don't really have records to know how much native american like of each yeah like, but okay and we know that her father was fi- was at least 50 percent native american he may be have been fully native american did we he don't have really a know. tribe like um like blackfoot or anything like that he does so he is part of the oh we're getting there oh okay just it's kidding. in here it's in here we're gonna get there okay. so <laughs> let's see so i couldn't find enough information to tell exactly what her dad's racial identity was but regardless bessie is biracial she's black and native american okay when bessie was two her father was able to purchase a quarter acre plot that's really small <laughs> that's what she said oh i love it this is amazing all right so (laughs) that is what she said when bessie was two her father purchased a quarter acre plot in the black section of waxahachie texas which again is in east texas uh he built a three-room house for his 15 member family sounds awesome sounds cozy in texas heat in bfe texas heat oh my god quarter acre is uh a quarter acre is not enough to farm so the family worked as field hands. Okay. All of the family. So even like little kids and stuff. And at a very early age, 
Bessie joined her mother and father and her siblings picking cotton in the East Texas fields. Oh, because that's not reminiscent of anything. No, goodness no. Goodness no. Fine. It's totally fine. The family had moved to Waxahachie because of the town's booming economy. In 1880, the town had a small population of around 1,300. Okay. But by 1899, it had over 100 businesses, including an electric light factory. So they actually had electricity. Ooh, schmancy. Uh-huh. It had a population of 4,200. So by 18, like by 1900 uh, standards, that's like... Like she's feeling herself a little some bit. Some people. Yeah. You know. It also had four banks. It had three weekly newspapers. They even had public transit. Ooh. Now, the public transit was mule-powered, so don't get too excited. You know, it's fine. Where do you put the quarters? Well, uh, you tell me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it, <laughs> in 1900, um, in, in the year 1900, a cotton textile mill began operating there. So mm-hmm. the town is booming. Okay. They're doing well-ish. They're doing well-ish, like, yeah. This little podunk town in BFE, Texas. Right. In 1901, Bessie was eight. Her father, his name is George, he wanted to go to Oklahoma's Native American territory. Okay. So George, who was part Choctaw, Choc- okay. he said, quote, he would blend right in in Oklahoma territory. Sure you would. I guess it was a good reason to go because he would blend in. I'm not really sure. But that's what he said. He said he'd blend right in. So let's go to Oklahoma. Besley's mother said, no, thank you. Yeah, said everyone ever, anytime someone says, let's go to Oklahoma. The answer is no. No. (laughs) (laughs) Why? (laughs) It's only ever, let's get out. Like, let's leave. Why are we here? I agree. No, I couldn't agree with you more. So his mom said no. So in true 1900 fashion, he went went anyway. Okay. okay. He left. Fair enough. But, But Bessie's mom stayed. So the family stayed, right? She stayed in Waxahachie with the four youngest children at this point. The other one, the others had grown old enough to leave. Okay. Yeah. And by 1910, Susan, Bessie's mom, mm-hmm. she had remarried and she'd moved the family then to Fort Worth. Okay. And the family then, which was the mom, the new man, and Bessie and two younger siblings. So basically the mom, the dad, and three kids. Okay. So they, a more manageable number of people. Yeah. Right. So, but Bessie's 18 at this point and they moved okay. to Fort, they moved to Fort, Fort Worth. Worth. Mm-hmm. Got it. Bessie was encouraged to read by her, by her mother. Her mother encouraged her to read from a young age, specifically, even though the family was near destitute with their father gone, her mother, Susan, made it a point to scrape together a few pennies to buy books from the wagon library that Aww. passed through Waxahachie once or twice a year. Bessie's studies were offset by her time in the cotton field. Okay. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. Because that's how they, Cause <laughs> with the rest of the family, that's how they lived, right? But because of her mother, Bessie got an education. Good for her. And in 1910, Bessie enrolled in the Oklahoma Colored Agriculture and Normal University. So, That's pause. a lot to say. I feel like, I feel like the colored should bother me, but actually the normal bothers me the most. Like, why is that even there? I agree. See, that was like, what, what <laughs> is, the, no, what, what, I get what makes it colored, but what makes it? Normal? Normal. Like, like normal question mark? Like, is there a paranormal? I'd rather go to the Paranormal Institute because um, they have wands and shit, and it seems like it's easier. The normal university. Yeah. So it was called the Oklahoma Colored Agricultural and Normal University located in Langston, Oklahoma, which is a few miles north of Oklahoma City. Fucking Oklahoma, man. Right, exactly. While attending college, one of her creative writing topics was the exploits of Orville and Wilbur Wright. Okay. When she was doing research, she found out that women could fly airplanes too. Or at, or at least white women could fly airplanes. That's true. 
Okay. Their thumbs function differently, apparently. I don't. Is that true? No, it's definitely okay. not. <laughs> <laughs> Though at the time it was considered rebellious and unseemly for any woman to fly an airplane, it was pretty much out of the question for black women to fly airplanes. Yeah, seems, I mean, we seems fair. We barely got out of slavery. We, ba- I mean, at this point, you know, I mean, the, the, this would be a really tough time. Yeah, like when your your mom is a freed slave, like the next step isn't you doing what was considered like a man's job and a white man's job at that, right? As a black woman, right? Like that's just unheard of. Like you're glad you should be happy you're considered a person at this point, let alone like a professional. So, but she was there. She was at the university, right? Mm-hmm. And while she was away, she kept in touch with her family. She decided after a few years that college really wasn't for her. She moved back to Waxahachie. She worked as a maid. She worked doing laundry. She picked okay. cotton. She saved money. And in 1915, she moved to Chicago where her older brother, Walter, and his wife lived. Okay. And she moved in with them. So she was like, I'm getting the hell out of this heat. Absolutely. And I lived in Texas, and I had to get the hell out of the heat, too, because... Texas heat is another beast. Like, if you're not prepared Uh, for it, you will walk outside, and the soles of your shoes will melt to the sidewalk. It's awful. But she loved her new life in Chicago. Especially, she enjoyed reading the newspaper, and particularly, there was a new black newspaper called the Chicago Defender. Okay. She worked as a manicurist, which is... Certainly yeah. better than working as a cotton picker, pe- cotton picker or lawn or laundry person, which by th- which then they called if a woman did laundry, they called her a laundress. Yeah, a laundress a because laundress. it sounds it sounds very um, polite and very professional, but it's not. But it's not. It's no. not a thing. OK. While working at the White Sox barbershop, she met and be- became friends with the founder of the Chicago Defender, okay. which is That's which cool. was her favorite publication. That guy's name is Robert Abbott. Her friendship with Abbott exposed her to the black societal elites of Chicago. Abbott was also enamored with her. And by 1917, Bessie was regularly being mentioned in the paper. Ooh. He started mentioning her comings and goings in his nationally distributed paper. Okay. Okay. The relationship between Abbott and Coleman was not romantic as far as we know. Air quotes. We know. Yeah. As far as we know. He was really nothing more than a rich benefactor, again, as far as we know. But let's carry on with the story. We're definitely going to get a little deeper. We'll come back and touch that again. Because we can't not touch on that fact like yeah i just i mean why would he mention the her like comings and goings like because oh it's so silly she doesn't do anything but he like talks about her in a newspaper yeah as any dude who's interested in any woman that's not doing anything in particular we know what's going on there pretty much it's mammals that's what we do in 1917 though bessie married claude glenn okay claude is a white guy from kentucky good for her we don't know much about him Bessie married him and then she basically she's married to him for like less than a year and then she just she just leaves to be with her sick sister in Texas. Okay. Her sister later died and then Bessie came back to her life in Chicago. Okay. But we don't hear a lot more about Claude Glenn. So like she just like married him and then just like nah I'm good and like like peace. I think she peaced out to like Texas hung out there <laughs> comes back to Chicago like so in 1918, Robert Abbott, he's the rich newspaper guy. He marries Helen Thornton Morrison. Okay. Okay. She was described as, quote, a fair-skinned widow, some 30 years younger than himself. Ooh. Unquote. <laughs> now, here's the interesting thing about her. She was one of only two black millionaires in the United States at the time. Okay. So he, 
Robert Abbott finds this hot young millionaire Super woman. Super loaded black chick, yeah. And marries her. Of right? course he does. Of course. Yeah. So Abbott, who's the owner of a, and editor of nationally circulated black newspaper, he badly wants to get into Chicago's white elite scene. Mm-hmm. And he thought that his fair-skinned, very rich wife would do the trick. But he would be disappointed because although she did pass for white, he did not. Oh. He was shunned from the white elite community, <laughs> which is what he wanted to get into. Shun the non-believer. Got it. And to the point where he was even forced to buy his very first Rolls Royce through a white friend because they wouldn't sell him the Rolls Royce, oh, even though no. he had enough money. <laughs> Could you imagine being like, yeah, I have the money. And they're like, yeah, but no. I'm okay. sorry. And then like you get your, your, your friend and you're like, here, I need you to go into the store and buy the thing for me, but don't tell him you know me. So literally that's what happened. So he gives his white friend the money. His, his white friend goes, buys the car, comes back, transfers the title to him. So now Abbott had the money but couldn't buy the car. That's fucked up. <laughs> yeah, it's fucked up. So Abbott, Abbott kept featuring Bessie in the paper. And some of Bessie's most inane actions became like regular feature in the Chicago Defender. Okay. So one time Abbott published a bullshit piece that went so far as to mention that Bessie Coleman, a manicurist, had a chair next to Chicago's fastest barber. How is that important in any any realm? So basically, it's just a, a fucking fluff piece. I don't really know. Why would they... It's like there's a woman that sits next to Chicago's fastest barber. I mean, that's cool and all, but like, unless you're getting a manicure and a haircut, like that matters 0% of the time. I'm getting text messages. Stop. It's because okay. you're popular. Exactly. All right. Well, anyway, I, I just don't understand. I don't understand. <laughs> I guess they didn't have iPhones back in the day, right? Apparently so, not. I think everything got published in the paper because they... Somebody needed something to gossip about. I mean, it was, and like, it took a week to get out. Was it like a weekly publication? No, it was daily. It was daily? Okay. Yeah. But still, I mean, it was a boring time to live. Absolutely. Like, you know, picking cotton and starving to death was on the top of people's minds. Oh, my God. That's so true. Oh, you're <laughs> like, so right. So this is just my opinion and just my opinion. Okay. It speaks to sort of a, an obsession where Abbott is constantly trying to engage and constantly engaging with Bessie. It's like a Facebook poke. Oh, that's You know what I mean? He's so like annoying. constantly like engaging with her. Yeah. Draw your own conclusions. Yeah. I I just... Like imagine she's like reading this paper and she's like, why does this guy keep on poking me? Like, leave me alone. Get out of my DMs. Right. Exa- yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, Get out of my DMs. Anyway. Sometime in 1919, Bessie Coleman got the inspiration to fly after reading about aviation and watching newsreels about airplanes and flying. Mm -hmm. So she wants to go fly. Bessie later said that the real incentive behind her decision to become a pilot was her brother John's nonstop teasing. John had served in France during World War I, and when he came home, he was talking about, according to this historian named Doris Rich, quote, the superiority of French women over those of Chicago's South Side, unquote. That's a little salty. Okay. Yeah, it is. So he even told Bessie that French women could fly airplanes and declared that flying was something Bessie would never be able to do. So Bessie started applying to flight schools all over in the United States. Good for her. What do you think happened? Um, she got denied because she was brown and people are assholes. That's exactly what happened. Okay. So, so she was both, she was both a female yeah. and she's black God. and no U.S. flight school will take her. Oh yeah. Cause of course not. No, of course not. I mean, what is it? 1920? Yeah. If that's the worst time to be like, it's a bad time to be a female and it's also a bad time to be brown. Yes. And also if you're both, you're kind of fucked. 
Okay. Yeah. Bad. Yeah. And not yeah. Nobody's having a good day. So in the spring of 1920, Bessie became the manager of a chili restaurant. Not a Chili's restaurant. <laughs> I was like, they had Chili's back then. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying. <laughs> she becomes a manager of a Chili restaurant. She's still friends with Abbott. He listened to her yak about becoming a pilot. Mm-hmm. You know, So he saw it as an opportunity to sell papers. So he told Bessie to go to school to be a pilot, but he told her to go to France. Abbott bought her ticket okay. and paid her way. Okay. And she sails to France in November of 1920. To, I like it. To become a pilot. So Bessie completes her initial flying courses in seven months. And then she took another 10-month course at, I'm going to mess it up so badly, someplace <laughs> in, in, in Somme, France. Okay. Som, okay. An, an academy in Somme, France. École d'Aviation des Fresheres Cordon. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not French. It's horrible. You did a great job. I I'm tried. so proud of you. I tried. Okay. So she learned how to fly in a French what's called a Newport Type 82. Okay. It was a World War I trainer. It looks like a regular biplane to me. It looks like a an old biplane. Anyway, here's a picture. Oh, yep. Super schmancy. And also, it looks like I would fall to my death and that would be the end of that. Right. Yeah. 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 Oh, should have a ball with that guy. Right. So let me go over the company Newport real quick. Okay. So the company Newport later became Newport de Lague. It was a French airplane uh, company that primarily built racing aircraft Ooh. after World War One and fighter aircraft during the war. Okay. They went out of business in 1932 because the designer retired and there was a lot of competition, more and more competition coming in the market. They called this the 82 because that's how many square meters of wing surface it had. Super original. I like it. I mean, it's nerdy. The people who are good at naming things are also really bad at naming things. Yeah, but it was nerdy, though. I mean, you can appreciate that. Oh, so that. nerdy. And it was even in the metric system, which is cool, instead of freedom units. Because <laughs> you should just call them fucking freedom units. <laughs> can I steal that? You totally can steal Okay, it. I'm going to do it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, oh, my God. So, Bessie's schooling includes tailspins, banking, and looping the loop. So, you know, like all the airplane stuff of the early oh, yeah. airplane days, right? So she receives her license from the na- from the renowned um, Federation Aeronautique, and her birthplace was listed as Atlanta City, Texas, which was correct, but her age was listed as 25 rather mm-hmm. than her actual age, 29. So yes, women have been lying about their age for a long time. For a long time. time. You know what? It's fine. It never hurt anybody. That's true. Yeah. That's true. And also, everybody knows, like, black don't crack, so we can pull it off. Uh, it's it's the cocoa butter, I swear. <laughs> i mean that's awesome that's awesome advice right there yeah but remember but so remember that she was married to glenn do you remember that glenn yeah the glenn dude she left somewhere he's from kentucky i don't know what it is well despite being married bessie goes about france acting like she's a single woman she travels to europe and back alone and she signed her maiden name on the ship's passenger manifest and by 1922 bessie was estranged from glenn glenn went left chicago and went back to kentucky and Bessie was enjoying the company of another unnamed white man while traveling about in France. So that, she now has a traveling companion. That sounds air quotes terrible, but right. also super awesome. Yes. Okay. She comes back to the US and mm-hmm. she's hailed by the major news outlets of the day with headlines like, now we're gonna get really racist. Okay. Remember it was in the remember it was in the uh, it was in the twenties. Quote, Negro girl manicurist becomes real aviatrix. Oh. 
And more often than not, in the papers ran a headline very similar to First Negress Aviatrix. Like, okay, can I just... The words. I know. I feel like it's they're very pretentious. First of all, Aviatrix, can we not? I and agree also, with that. also, like, Negress, that sounds like super regal and i also don't think it's that either (laughs) no 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 it's i it feels really passive aggressive to me like it does and the word real she's not an easy bake oven like look now you can hike one for yourself and no it's but they mentioned that she's negro girl manicurist becomes real aviatrix it's like it's like she's gluten-free and i kind of hate that yeah and it's also like (laughs) let's make sure to mention to mention that she used to just do nails yeah yeah, like your nail tech is now flying planes, and you should feel safe with that. Uh, anyway, I don't like anything about it. I hate, thanks, I hate everything. Yes, you're welcome. Um, <laughs> but it was certainly, while it was while it was certainly not specifically racist at the time, it was still misogynistic by today's standards. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's both, but at the time, it was kind of like not specifically racist and they yeah. could have they had like more word more creative words to use if they wanted to be racist but it's definitely misogynistic yeah they weren't being like derogatory but they were also like look this woman can do things right <laughs> right right i agree so the new york times wrote about bessie coleman's arrival as a sub paragraph to get this a race between two ships saying that one of the passengers was a, quote, Bessie Coleman, age 24, of Chicago, a negress who said she had taken a full course in aviation in France and passed her examination. She said she expected to give exhibition flights with the hope of of inspiring Negroes to learn to fly. But the black-owned Chicago Defenders headline was, Chicago Girl is a Full-Fledged Aviatrix Now. Now. Oh, but my I, God. But, okay, but <laughs> he, here's what I love about the Chicago Defender. Mm-hmm. It just says a Chicago girl. Yeah. It's like we didn't really, it's not racist. It's misogynistic because they're yeah. like aviatrix, aviatrix. And right? like they don't call her even a woman. Like she's a grown ass <sighs> woman. They call she her is. a girl. I know. Which is. <sighs> but at least they didn't call her a negress. Or that a, is true. Like they didn't point out anything else about her. They were just like Chicago girl. Yeah. I can All right, whatever. That. Okay. On October um, 8th, 1921, true to her word, Bessie Coleman gave the Chicago Defender her first interview mm-hmm. when she got back about why she took up flying. Now I'm going to read this quote. Okay. Well, because I knew we had no aviators, neither men nor women, and I knew that my race needed to be represented along this racist, important line, so I thought it my duty to risk my life to learn aviating and to encourage flying among men and women of the race. Um, So basically, she says it takes courage and nerve and ambition to fly that her age was helpful it was a good you know that she's young and that she's not scared of death but she learned let's see n- now what is needed is men who are not afraid absolutely to dare to dare their lives yeah to do the thing like she's trying to inspire black youths to get into aviation yeah which is awesome but she's also just in- trying to like get people interested in aviation generally and that's super cool because i feel like it's a really overlooked field Oh, it definitely is. Like, nobody thinks of it as a thing. You you go on vacations and you have everything in shipping and everything that involves aviation. And nobody thinks of it as a career path. So I've covered this in some other episodes. But I just want to point out that, that less than 8% of aviators, of pilots, are women. Yeah. Less than 8%. And less than 1% are black females. So realistically, it is an awesome career and... 
more people should be involved. I agree. For sure. Especially women, especially minorities. I mean, it's an awesome career and it's it's something that everybody should be interested in. And she sees that. Yeah. And passes it along. And I'm totally for that. Right. So she really is an empowering, <laughs> an empowering force. She was asked how she felt while flying and she replied that she felt safer in an airplane than an automobile, but noted that, quote, in school I saw a pupil killed instantly. It was a terrible shock to my nerves, but I never lost them. We must have aviators if we are to keep pace with the times. Yeah. Unquote. Yeah. So again, she's 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 got a realistic point of view. Like nothing is a hundred percent safe, but you can't you can't refuse to move forward because you'll get left behind. Right. Absolutely. Totally. So I so I I do love her attitude and I love that she's you know putting herself out there. And at the end of the interview the Chicago defender gave Bessie Coleman as a point of contact for anyone wanting to learn to fly. What do we call that doxing now? Ah. Uh, but she did it but they did it on purpose. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I was like uh, IDK. <laughs> um Bessie saw very few opportunities to make money flying though yeah because i mean what what job opportunities would there be for so there are very few so that's a good question that you ask at this time there's very few opportunities to make money in passenger flying yeah very very few at this time to make money flying you were in the military Mm -hmm. you flew mail and cargo or you basically flew like shows yeah, or like, would um, would the, she qualify to fly like a Zeppelin? Were they even still doing that? They were doing that. Then. Okay, because that was like the only passenger kind yes. of thing I could think of. And I don't think that, but I don't think anybody is going to hire her. No, this they're definitely the not. They're not going to hire her, even <laughs> though. So barnstorming was a thing, and it was it was meshed with vaudeville. Okay. So so you had vaudeville. Yeah. Which, you know, all the crazy shows and the and they mixed barnstorming with vaudeville. Is this where they would like dance on the wings and they would have yes. the thing? Oh, and they I would like go that. fly through a barn or like they yeah. would do like loops close to the ground. The fancy Yes. And they would do jump they would do parachute jumping because that was a thing at the time too. They would like parachute jump. Dangerous. That seems, yeah. Highly um. But it was a way that she could make money. Okay, fair enough. So it's a form of entertainment, like I said, often associated with vaudeville. It's designed to impress people with the skills that pilots had. Mm-hmm. And the companies that built airplanes would give airplanes to vaudeville shows because okay. they wanted to sell airplanes. So and they wanted like, to show you how like how cool versatile they are. and like right. fast and showy this is. Right, and how, look how like sturdy it is. Yeah, and stuff like Ooh, that. Sturdy, that's a good. One. Unfortunately, that that was not really accurate as a lot a lot of barnstormers died in crashes. Mm. It's actually not <laughs> like her. She was like, "Oh, I feel safe," but it wasn't actually really safe. A lot of airplanes also broke up during shows. Yeah. They would like come apart. Oh, well, you know. They would have major structural failures and engine failures <laughs> and things like that. I mean, this is the very early days of airplanes. It's totally so, fine. It's uh, fine. That part is not supposed to be there or attached. It's fine. Right. So she wants to, but she wants to be a barnstormer, but she can't get trained in the United States again. So she goes back to France. Of course. While she's there, she got the training that she needed. She met the president of the Fokker Aircraft Company. Okay. Later became the main producer of Access Aircraft in World War II. So, yeah, they they made a lot of Nazi aircraft. Hmm. She also got training from the chief pilot there. She arranged to buy a Fokker biplane, but as far as I know, it never materialized. While she was there, she also gave a silent film star, Harry Carey Sr., an airplane ride. He said some nice stuff about her. It's not really important. Okay. Anyway, she's getting a little fame because she's like, 
flying with a president of a company and then she's like flying with a movie star okay so like a little notoriety people are getting her name out there yeah okay fair enough yeah so she's getting like a little bit famous by the time that Bessie returns to New York in the summer of 1922, her fame had spread past just the Negro press, right? Yeah. Just, and it had been in the mainstream papers. So specifically, the New York Times lauded her success in Europe. So Bessie scheduled her first air show for August 27th of 1922 at Curtis Flying Field, which is in Garden City, Long Island. Yeah. Currently, it's there's nothing there. There's nothing left of it. So it's just city now. That's awesome. Um, although the show was delayed to September 3rd due to rain, it did go. And on that day, about 1,500 people came to the event. This was the first time a black pilot would ever fly an airplane in the United States. That's awesome. A black female pilot. I'm sorry. They wouldn't give her her license in the U.S. So she had to go to France twice to do the thing. And then she came back like, yeah, you can fly. It's fine now. Right. Yeah, and she's licensed now. She's actually licensed, but she's licensed by the French authority, not the U.S. authority, but it doesn't matter. Anyway, this is the first time a black female pilot flew an airplane in the United States. That's badass. She flies a Curtis Jenny JN4, which is, again, if I showed you a picture, it's going to look like an old biplane. Mm -hmm. Not a big deal. It was loaned to her by the Curtis Aircraft Company. Okay. Again, they're looking for notoriety. The show was successful. She became a national celebrity. The Chicago Defender and Robert Abbott, remember the guy mm-hmm. who's the he's the editor and the owner of the of the paper. He gets tons of press. So his investment was a good one. Remember, because he paid for yeah. her to go to France. And, and so now. he starts selling tons of papers. So her popularity sells lots of papers and she's dubbed Queen Bess. I feel like that's a step up from Negress. I agree. Or yeah, whatever. I think. Nail technician or whatever the fuck <laughs> they were calling her before. <laughs> but she's so she's killing it. She also knew how to uh, play the media. Okay. And because this was in the days before smartphones and all that stuff and cameras, she told lies. She told lies about her age. She told lies about how she got her license. She told tall tales. But she didn't do it to like lie. She did it to add to her mystique. She did it to be like, it was character building. Right. She's Exactly. She's yeah. building her character. She didn't have to tell those lies, though, because the truth was actually pretty impressive. And her real stories were actually pretty legendary. Yeah. She was not the first female pilot because females had been flying in France for some time and in the U.S. The U.S. had several licensed white females oh. to fly airplanes. So she's not the first female pilot. Okay. Just... But Yeah, but anyway. In October, she gave her first show in Chicago, billed as her homecoming. There were parachute jumpers and aerial tricks. After the show, she sold rides to spectators. Oh, that's awesome. So then you could pay whatever and go up and fly with her after the show. And maybe not die. She didn't kill anybody, so she's good. Yeah. (laughs) But then something big happened. Okay. In December of 1922, Bessie was hired to, to star as herself in a silent film called Shadow and Sunshine. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So she's like now becoming like she went from like a manicurist and a laundress to like she's she's a pilot and a movie star. A movie star. Do we know who the director was? His name is Peter Jones. Okay. Produced by a black filmmaker called Peter Jones. However, she doesn't read the script until the first day that she's supposed to shoot. The Mm. script calls for her to walk with a walking stick and dress in rags like she's a poor, uneducated Southern black girl. Okay. Yeah, I can't see her being like, yeah, no, that's totally cool because, yeah. And by now also, she's kind of a star. She, she had a little bit of an ego, as all pilots do. Of course of course they do. Right. <laughs> I and, wouldn't know anything about that. 
that she was, <laughs> but let me tell you, Bessie was having none of this shit. So she's having none of it. So she said that she did not want to do it. In fairness, the script was shit. Bessie knew it. Yeah. So she gets there. She reads it. Then she leaves. The cast and the crew waits two hours for her. And they're eventually told she's too sick to appear. Mm-hmm. But the truth is she just left. Yeah, she, she knew off. better. She's like, this is trash. Yes. And I'm better than this. And I'm better than this. So as a result, the director chose a dancer named Bessie Allison. But guess what they do with Bessie Allison? What do they do? They train her to fly. Are you right fucking there serious? Right there on the spot. They pay to train her to fly. So Bessie Allison becomes the second. Oh my god! The second black female pilot. I feel like that's almost more insulting than the role. It's like, hey, you had to go to France twice to do the thing, I and know. nobody would recognize you and like acknowledge your hard work. But also, we're gonna pay this tramp off the street to learn how to fly, and like, right. And she just gets to be like silver medalist. Exactly. The so fuck? they hire the they hire the chief instructor from the Curtis Aircraft Company, which is the manufacturer, to train Bessie Allison to fly the airplane. What a bunch of hoes. <laughs> I hate that so much. But in fairness, Bessie Allison was a very well-educated woman. She became an instant celebrity because Bessie Coleman walks off and Bessie Coleman hates it. Uh. I mean, obviously she hates it. I mean, I'd hate it too. They literally were like, oh, well, like, you're not going to do this role. You. I just, it just the whole thing feels icky to me. I don't like it. So she leaves New York. She goes and she just goes to Orlando. She gets a job as a manicurist. Oh my God. Are you serious? <laughs> yes, but totally why? Serious. I don't even know why. I thought that was what we're trying to get away from. So she's like a pilot slash nail tech and she just runs back. She's like, screw oh you. God. I'm going to go do nails. Oh my God. I, I hate in here. So yeah, exactly. I hate it. You're mean. So the producer, Peter Jones. Robert Abbott and a lot of the press were now calling her an eccentric diva who wanted to, quote, capitalize on her publicity without being willing to work. Sweet. It kind of does come across that way, but but it's a shit script. Yeah, it is. So here's what she says about that. Bessie Coleman responded that she didn't want to reinforce images of ignorant black migrants and there would be no, quote, Uncle Tom stuff for me. Okay, that's fair enough. She stood up for herself, and I completely 100% appreciate it. And I mean, she worked hard to get to where she was. So not wanting to like regress and represent that trope that they they give people is is fair enough. I completely agree with you. And and to your point a minute ago, you said she had to go to France. Yeah. She had to like... Leave. Leave. And she spent like two years in France training, and suddenly they're just going to get like Bessie Allison, who's smart and pretty and whatever, but they're just going to train her right there in New York. Yeah. And Bessie's like, what the fuck? It's like a slap in the face. It totally. I'd be pissed. Oh, I would be pissed too. But her failure to appear at the movie and her diva attitude would come back to haunt her. Because when Bessie walked out on the Peter Jones film, it was a huge setback for the production company and nearly put them out of business. Because they had what? paid all of her expenses. They had paid 150 to 200 people to develop the film. Okay. And she walked off. And they can't train... Bessie Allison instantly, she takes a couple months to train. Of course. So it sets everybody back and it almost bankrupts Peter Jones. Jesus. All right. So it's a big deal. Queen Bess was still a celebrity. She was brought to Oakland, California to advertise for a tire company. So they start uh, trying to get her into advertising because she's famous. While she's there, she travels to San Diego where she buys a Curtis Jenny 
JN4 for $400. Now, that's a great deal, which is a little less than $6,000 in today's money. It's super cheap. Still a great deal. Now, the reason it was a great deal is because it was a World War I surplus airplane. Okay. During that time, there was a solid market for cheap surplus planes because World War I was over, obviously. There were pilots, and a lot of the pilots wanted to fly, mm-hmm. and flying was fashionable. Yeah. So they were selling off these like military surplus stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And they still do that now. They sell stuff that you oh, know totally. they don't even need and make a little extra bank off of it, and everybody's happy. The only problem with this is that the airplane that she bought, or rather all the airplanes, they really were just neglected. They were just kind of pushed out, and then they were sold off. Yeah. I mean, they're not going to take care of them, really. They're just going to be like, oh, this stuff's for sale. Absolutely. Anyway, she buys an airplane. So she flew to Santa Monica from San Diego. Mm -hmm. She spends the night. She was doing an air show in Palomar, California the next day. I didn't look up where Palomar is, but it's not very far from there. 10,000 people showed up to see her perform. Okay. That's how like... That's a significant number for back in the day. But on the way, the engine quit. Oh. She crash lands the airplane and she's nearly killed. A doctor at the site treated her as well as he could. But she was taken to St. Catherine's Hospital in Santa Monica with a broken leg, fractured ribs, other internal injuries. Her face was cut and bruised, and she was she almost died in the crash. That's she had happens. significant internal bleeding, but she survives. God, all right. The Chicago Defender lied about the crash and said she struck an air pocket, as they called it. I don't know what is that it is. Is it the same as a hot pocket? Hot pocket. <laughs> and they're always ice cold in the middle. <laughs> Unless you microwave them just the right amount of time and then they've just liquid magma. Oh my God. Exactly. (laughs) And then it's like, oh, you, thanks. I didn't need those parts inside my mouth. Yeah, it's fine. Uh, (laughs) So they lie. I don't know why they lie, but they lied and they said she struck an air pocket and they called the crash a victory that proved flying is no more dangerous than riding in an automobile on the surface. What? But was it the, I mean, but. No, that's what happens when you buy planes off of eBay. Basically, yeah. <laughs> when you walk into the junkyard and be like, I'll take that one. X, yeah. Show me the car facts. Like, no. <laughs> so, but then they lie. I mean, they said, oh, it's no more dangerous than riding an automobile on the surface. I disagree. Yeah. I think a lot of dead pilots would disagree I, as well. I feel like they wouldn't because they're dead. Oh, you're right. No, yeah. you're right. So Bessie was unable to make a bunch of shows because she's got bad injuries, right? But during the time in the hospital, she dreams up of opening a flight school to teach other black pilots how to become pilots or black people how to become pilots. In 1923, she's released from the hospital. She does a few air shows. Then she went back to Chicago and she did a few back there. She signed on to do a barnstorming tour of the South. Also, and she also struck another movie deal, but this time the writer of the movie was a writer from the Chicago Defender. Okay. So some connections. Remember, it's who you know. Absolutely. Right? So she knows people. Well, Bessie didn't show up for a lot of the barnstorming dates. She just no-shows. Like for like no reason? Yeah. Mm, sweet. And when Bessie didn't show up for a bunch of the dates in the barnstorming tour, she just didn't show up. And as a result, the owner wrote their colleagues and told them not to book Bess. Yeah, because she's unreliable. She's unreliable. Bessie was essentially blackballed from the show circuit. The movie deal also fell through because of all the no-shows because the movie producer and the writer, they didn't want to take a chance on her attendance because the movie has a big budget, right? Yeah, absolutely. And they wanted her to show up. For the next 18 months, from spring of 1924 to summer of 1925, Bessie barely flew. I just... 
come on, I just wish she'd show up. That doesn't make sense. So like you go through all the the work and the effort to get the license, to do the thing, to go to France, to like Yeah, to make money in the show circuit. To be to like famous stru- and also you're brown and also you're a woman and like cool, go do the strike awesome a movie thing. deal right. and like And like you just don't you just don't go. Like, I don't make it make sense. I don't understand. I don't know. I can't make it make sense. I think that there's a lot of ego going on here. I think there's a lot of I'm famous, you need me kind of stuff. Mm. But even then. But like to stay famous, you still have to do things. You can't just disappear. Totally. And and remember, at this time, we also have Bessie Allison, who Mm -hmm. is the other. Yeah. the other pilot who was trained. So yeah. it's not like they don't have choices. Exactly. They have choices. And you don't have Twitter or Facebook. Or, so you can't like just like tweet from your couch and be like, look at me. I'm awesome. Like you have to go places and see people for people to remember who you are and to talk about you. Right. They have to talk about it's you. It's called networking and she's bad at it apparently. She is not the best. Awesome. So Bessie lays low. She works some connections. She books a bunch of flying in the white flying circus in Houston. Okay. Billing herself as the world's greatest aviatrix. All right. Okay. But anyway, (laughs) while flying in Texas, she befriends the governor, Miriam Amanda Wallace Ferguson, called Ma Ferguson, and she was invited to the Texas governor's mansion. Okay. I have to stop. What the fuck? Texas had a female governor in 1925. Okay. That was my question. I'm like, first of all, who names their son Miriam? Because I'm thinking 1925 and like dicks rule the world. And also... Go Texas. I know. I I, I was shocked. Okay, so I did a little research on her. I went, what the hell? (laughs) So there was a female governor in Texas in the 1920s, Miriam Amanda Wallace, called Ma Ferguson. Okay. She was born in 1875. She died in 1961. She was an American politician. She was one of the first two women, along with another woman named Nellie Taylor Ross, to be elected as governor of a state. Ma Ferguson served two non-consecutive terms as the first female governor of Texas from 1925 to 1927, and then she was elected again in 1933 to 1935. That's awesome. Who knew Texans could be so progressive? Well, I don't know if they can anymore. I mean, it depends (laughs) on who you ask. (laughs) Now we have Ted Cruz. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just gonna, yeah, okay. She's like, I need more wine. Yeah, I do. I need more wine for that one. So Bessie gets married again in the fall of 1925. Okay. Wait, did she actually, did she ever get divorced from like hubby? Okay. Check. Check. She gets married again in 1925. She's estranged from her other husband. There's no official divorce record. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. So she gets married again. So there's like a whole sister wife situation going on. Yes. Cool. Mm -hmm. She lives with her new guy briefly in Texas. Okay. And we literally hear nothing about this guy. So I don't know what happens to him later. But just so you don't ask about him later, I have no other information. She lives with him briefly in Texas. And then by 1926, the movie producer from The Defender and Bessie had worked out their differences. Okay. And that person sponsored a vaudeville show act in Charleston, South Carolina. Okay. Where Bessie was the star. She also performed aerial stunts at Pike's Theater in Savannah, Georgia. Okay. To a mixed group of black locals and black elites. That's awesome. So things are going fine, it seems. Yeah, they're going well-ish. Like, she's she's starting to get out there, and people are, are picking it up. Later in 1926, Bessie Coleman got a letter from a young black female in Jacksonville, Florida. It read, Mrs. Coleman, my dear one, I am writing you to congratulate you on your brave doings. I want to be an aviatrix when I get a woman. Ooh. 
they mean I get to be a woman. Okay. I right. Was like, it's just like a weird way of. I'm like, are we doing that now too? That's <laughs> that, awesome. Now we're doing. <laughs> now we're doing homosexuality too. No. Oh um, damn it. So she says, when I get a woman, like she means to like when I grow up. Okay. I like to see our race do brave things. I'm going to be out there to see you jump from an airplane. I want an airplane of my own when I get a woman. Many kisses. Yours, a little girl, Rooney May McDuffie. Okay, that's sweet. Yeah, so she gets a sweet letter. Also, I wanted to point out that she jumps, so Bessie Coleman jumps out of airplanes too. Oh, okay. She learned that. Not the one she's flying though. No. Like, she doesn't like just get out and like jump and no, like. No, she, okay. so she gets another pilot to fly the airplane and then she jumps, you know, part of the vaudeville show is like flying the airplane yourself and then like jumping out and stuff like okay. that. So she does jump out of airplanes. That's cool. It's vaudeville. That stuff sells. Yeah. Bessie decided that an air show in Jacksonville was in order so she could do an air show for Rooney Mary okay. McDuffie. Spitting. Yeah. She made the arrangements for a show. She attempted to attain... Uh, she ob- <laughs> Get your shit together. <laughs> no kidding. She attempted to obtain an airplane, but okay. she was blocked by local whites due to rampant racism. She was able to phone a friend, and William D. Wills flew a real piece of shit Curtis Jenny in from Texas for her. Okay. Because remember, she would been she'd been doing some air shows in Texas. Yeah, yeah. So she made a friend named William D. Wills. He flew the airplane in for her. The trip took twenty one hours. Ew. Because the cruise speed of a Jenny is about sixty miles an hour. That is atrocious. And the aircraft had several mechanical emergencies on the way. These <laughs> <laughs> are reliable. Come on. This slow as shit piece of shit airplane. <laughs> Thank you. How does it even stay in the air at oh sixty miles an hour? So, but somebody bought the airplane. The money for the it was a five hundred dollar airplane. Again, so really more than cheap. the other piece of shit that you bought. Yeah, but still a piece of shit. Okay. The money was fronted by the son of the chewing gum mogul Harry Beeman. Oh. So Beeman gum. Okay. Yeah. There's bells there. Got it. So five hundred dollars again. This is nothing for an airplane, even then. So it hints at the mechanical ineptitude <laughs> of the airplane. Okay. Remember, when she paid more for the surplus airplane, she paid $600 for the mm-hmm. surplus airplane, and that one fucking crashed. And she almost died. And almost killed her. So right. this one's less and also just as reliable, or also not. Yeah, also not, right? Okay. William Wills, we don't really know the relationship that he had with Bess, but we okay. do know that Bess Coleman loved white guys. So at this point, she has two white husbands. <laughs> She's not really divorced I from fucking the first one. <laughs> <laughs> so she's got and remember she's palling around europe yeah so let's talk they, about what yeah william wills so their relationship is complicated his job title according to the press ranged from mechanic to salesman to publicity manager mm. we aren't really sure of their exact standing but he was a pilot Okay. He had an airplane. They knew each other. And in quote. End quote. <laughs> they knew. They were aware of each other's existence. I looked this up. The most likely thing yeah. was that she had met him in Texas mm-hmm. and he volunteered to fly the airplane from Dallas Love Field to Jacksonville because he had a brother in Tallahassee. Oh. So maybe he took the opportunity. I think he knew her and knew in air quotes. Also, I think that... He wanted to come to Florida to visit. Yeah, his like it wasn't a completely inconvenient trip. Like I can do something for this girl that I may or may not like, right. and I can also see my family like on the same turn. And he also was a salesperson. Yeah. So I think there was an opportunity to sell 
the airplane. Okay. Too. So that's like a little a little less greasy, right, I guess. Right. We do know that Wills was definitely not her publicity manager, though, mm-hmm. because Arthur A. Monariette, who had traveled with, with Bessie throughout the South, was her actual publicity manager. Okay. So she actually has a publicity manager, and it's not him. In the very early morning hours of Friday, April 30th, mm-hmm. 1926, Bessie Coleman was having breakfast in a local Jacksonville restaurant, and she happens to see Robert Abbott there dun, dun, by dun. some chance. I really wonder why he was there. Yeah. He's the editor of the Chicago Sh- Defender. Yeah, like A why? nationally circ... Okay, so Bessie rushes over and says to John Betch, who Betch... <laughs> How do you say that? B-E-T-S-C-H... Besh. Besh. I feel like it's like German-ish. Yeah. Besh. Okay. Whatever. Anyway, so Bessie rushed over and said to John Besh, who was her driver, this is the man who gave me my chance. I shall never forget him. Mm -hmm. Talking about Abbott. Okay, sweet. Abbott then let it be known out of jealousy or out of bragging to both Bessie and John and the entire restaurant that he did not care for William Wills. Okay. And that she should not fly with him. Bessie assured Abbott that all would be fine. I just want to talk about Abbott for a second. Okay. Why is he in a diner in Jacksonville? And why does she happen to see him by chance? I just, he's the owner, the editor. (laughs) I'm just saying, I think, okay, so Abbott definitely has feelings for her. For sure. 100%. And he paid for her to go to France. Mm Mm-hmm. And now he suddenly shows up in Jacksonville. I'm calling it Sugar Daddy. Either that or I'm getting like really strong stalker vibes. Like I made you what you are and I own you and no one else is good enough for you. And also I'm secretly going to like follow you and like keep tabs on you. And he's like, he's about 25 years older than her, 25 to 30 years older than her. Yeah. So he's in his 50s. I just get like Sugar Daddy, like you said, like Sugar Daddy, maybe stalker vibes. I get weird vibes from 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 him yeah. it's just an odd relationship that they have i digress anyway yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> bessie goes to a place called paxton field okay which is here in jacksonville and around 7 30 a.m wills was waiting for her he's already in the pilot seat she's running a couple minutes late she told her driver which is john besh mm-hmm. she told her driver that she would take john up for a ride once she tried out the plane because william wills was there Okay, right, and got she it. and it was the first time she would have gotten to fly the airplane. Yeah, so you know, good pilot due diligence. Make sure that your POS airplane isn't going to kill you and a passenger. Exactly makes sense. So, also being a religious person, Bessie falls to her knees and she prays. Then she climbs in the back of the airplane. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wills was in front and flying. They took off. They flew the airplane. The airplane for about twelve minutes. Bessie's driver, John Besh, said they spent the time doing maneuvers, flying back and forth over the area. Bessie's seatbelt was unbuckled because as her partner Wills flew, she was leaning over looking for a good spot to parachute jump during the show. Okay. Okay. As the aircraft approached the field, it suddenly started to dive. (laughs) The aircraft then rolled over, pitched up abruptly. A witness to the incident, Mrs. W.L. Meadows, told the police that she saw the plane go into a dive and halfway to the ground, it looped and Bessie fell out. Oh, no. That... Bessie Coleman had fallen out about 2,000 feet. Oh. With God. between her and the ground, she was killed on impact. Oh God! A paper, the New York Age, reported, "quote Her winsome beauty was absolutely destroyed." Uh, Unquote. Yeah. From two thousand feet, everything is absolutely destroyed. I just find the wording interesting. Her winsome beauty. Her winsome beauty is absolutely destroyed. Like she just fell two thousand feet. Yeah. 
Um, she is pink mist right now. Right. We worried about her winsome beauty oh or like, God. I just, I'm just like, okay, all right. This is so weird. The way newspapers wrote back then is just, I read these newspaper articles yeah, and I'm like, what did we read? What did I just read? So William Wills is now in the airplane by himself. <laughs> he fights the airplane for another quarter mile through another steep dive. Mm-hmm. The airplane hits a tree at what is now Broadway and Edgewood Avenue in Jacksonville. Oh my God, Edgewood Avenue. There's a really good bakery over there. (laughs) (laughs) So fucked up. Oh man. Will survives the crash initially, but he's badly injured and he's stuck in the wreckage. (sighs) Now's when shit gets wild, y'all. It hasn't gotten wild? John Besh. Uh Uh-huh. Bessie's driver. driver. He'd driven Bessie all over the South. Yeah. He'd driven her to all her shows. He saw that Will's was alive, but trapped in the airplane. So witnesses told police that John Besh, instead of coming to his rescue, stood back, lit a cigarette, and threw the match into the fuel. What a dick! John stood and smoked while William Wills burned to death. What the fuck? What the fuck? That is savage. I mean, I I kind of admire the dude, but also, that's another level. Now, we don't know for sure. We know that nobody liked William Wills. Mm-hmm, we know that. We know nobody liked him. We know that Bessie had a thing for white guys. Yeah. So I think that there's levels of jealousy, you know, that we saw with Abbott. John Besh had been Bessie's driver for a long time, mm-hmm. saying things like, let me try out the airplane and then I'll take you for a ride. That kind of thing suggests to me that yeah. Bessie gets around. Yeah, there was like, there was a little game there. Like... I think so. I don't know if they're in a romantic relationship or if he just... Thought, is, is in yeah. love with her or just she, like he's you, her driver he spent they spent a lot of time yeah together. you spend a lot of personal time a lot of connection here right. you are with this kind of quasi famous person or very famous person at some point in time and you know you feel special you feel like you're let in and the fact that you might get like private tours or special treatment right makes people feel some kind of way and we also know that robert abbott was jealous was yes. sort of jealous of course in front of john so again that suggests that they're there was maybe a, a little romantic relationship or a sexual relationship. We don't know. Yeah. Like there was some kind of a relationship there yeah. that was worth being jealous over essentially. More, more than platonic, I would say. Right. It's more than platonic. But again, that's all speculation on my part. But I will tell you that it is downright savage to light a match and I throw mean, it in a puddle of fuel. I feel like that's the ending to like one of the greatest movies. Like you just kick back and just like watch it burn and then roll credits. I can literally see that <laughs> in like a black and white silent yeah. film. Like he just like. Ah, <laughs> absolutely. And just stands there and smokes while the I dude mean, screams and burns. Like, that's badass. Wow. They took John Betch. Yeah. Into custody due to some witness testimony on the scene, <laughs> but enough witnesses refuted the evidence and John Besh was released. Okay. The official cause of the accident was cited as a loose wrench jammed in the control mechanism. I I mean, I feel I don't think William Wills did it on purpose. I no. I don't think he there's definitely something wrong with the airplane. Yeah, it was like I the feel. people who have the screwdriver for their ignition. Like right. it's there for a reason. Right. But the reason is you're driving a piece of shit. Right. Okay. Uh, so I'm not exactly sure. It says, quote, expert aviators who examined the wreckage said said that a wrench had slipped between the control gears and jammed them while they were set to downward. Mm. Unquote. So let me tell you why that why that makes a little sense. Okay. So it makes a little sense because if if they were sort of going toward the field like yeah. a barnstormer would and kind of diving down toward the field, it would have caused something from the rear of the airplane to slide yeah, forward. To like shift forward, got it. Yeah, and it would have 
scratch jammed in the controls. Now, if you're pushing forward on the controls Mm -hmm. and you want to make the airplane climb and it's jammed, Mm -hmm. you can roll the airplane on its back and it will climb because it's the opposite. Okay, the inverse, got it. Yeah, so if it's jammed forward, Mm -hmm. we can roll it on its back and it will climb up. Okay. So it makes sense why William Wills would have rolled the airplane over because he's like, I see the ground coming and he's a barnstormer too. So he knows how to fly the airplane. Mm -hmm. So he rolls it on its back to climb away from the ground. Huh. That's badass. So she falls out because he doesn't know. Yeah. And like my brain wants to do this whole modern plane thing, but it's also like literally a tube with a thing cut out and like some bucket seats. Exactly. And also like fabric wings. Yeah. It's like a go-kart in the sky. It's not the safest thing. And of course she falls out. But it also means that he wouldn't have been able to continue to control the airplane too. So, and also you can't fly an airplane indefinitely upside down because it's, um, because it's fuel. Yeah. The fuel gets starved. The engine's starved. So if it's jammed, Mm -hmm. he's going to have to try to figure out and it just doesn't work. So he crashes. That's, they say actually does, it makes some sense. Logistically, it makes sense. Right. Spectators at the scene believed that the local KKK had sabotaged the plane. Okay. Okay. Remember that this is the 1920s. Yeah. This is the height of the KKK. There are literally millions of Klan members in the United States. And at this time, the most popular movie to date was that racist garbage piece of shit called Birth of a Nation. I fucking knew it. I was like, he's going to say it. He's going to say it. It was also a global movement of nationalism. So not only was it like racist, it was a global movement of nationalism. This is the time we start to see the rise of Hitler. We start to see the rise of Mussolini, you know, ultimately resulted in World War II, but... And the genocide of millions. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm not ruling out sabotage as a potential cause for the accident. It was a deeply, deeply divided, you know, racial division in the United States, arguably the deepest post-slavery. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. So, I mean, there's something to consider. Yeah. But it's also worth noting that no trained aircraft accident investigators existed at the time. There was no government department for the NTSB. Oh, yeah. So they just basically like asked mechanics and pilots, like, what do you think happened? So anyway, Bessie's body was laid in state in Jacksonville for a memorial. Then she was shipped to Orlando for a memorial um, at the nail salon. Are you serious? No. (laughs) I was like, what the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Sorry, I had to throw that in there. It's okay. Um, then she was, then she was, then her body was finally shipped to Chicago for burial. Okay. The Chicago Defenders editor, Robert Abbott, wrote a unifying memorial, and I'd like to read part of it. Bessie Coleman and William Wills looked into the great beyond together when her airplane suddenly took a nosedive and then turned upside down at a height of 3,000 feet in Jacksonville two weeks ago. William Wills was a white man, an American citizen, and a native of Texas. Both were engaged in a dangerous profession. They were pioneers in the field and knew that each flight might be their last. Wills knew that one day his plane might do just what it did on the tragic morning. He knew that one day he might be hurled through a mighty emptiness to the most horrible death of which a man can conceive. He knew the history of Bessie's race and the tradition traditions of his people, but he did not hesitate in making the flight. In making his decision... He was prompted by the skill and efficiency of the aviatrix, not by her color. And so he and Bessie died together, a Southern black girl and a Southern white man on Southern soil, both American citizens. That's nice. That's cool. I thought that was worth hearing. Yeah. 
I thought it was awesome. I mean, the Chicago Defender had been the least racist. <laughs> I Like in a time where that's a thing. Yeah, this is the least racist paper we have. But also, I, I thought it was cool. So he's like, basically, you have like a white man and a black woman and they died together in a yeah. tragic way. And that's something that we should be sad about. And Absolutely. they're both American citizens. So it doesn't really matter. Absolutely. I thought that was... Again, you know, this was deep racial division. And so William Wills was as unpopular in the, mm-hmm. in the like white aviation yeah, community for flying with her. Yeah. Absolutely. So they both were like kind of t- like burdened by that. Yeah. They were like, you know, no pun intended, but like black sheep. They were kind of the, yeah. the no, outliers true. of their, their community on that bell curve, like just at different ends. And it's just interesting. Anyway, I thought it was interesting that we're here in Jacksonville. Yeah. No, it's, a, it's a good story. So, I like it. So Bessie was buried in Lincoln Cemetery. Okay. But there was no money for a headstone. Are you serious? Uh-huh. But two years later, a headstone was placed and an aircraft flew overhead to honor her. That's awesome. So we talked about it. It was called Paxson Field. Mm-hmm. It's in Jacksonville. Do you know what's there now? High school. So there's a school nearby, but there's an industrial park on the site of okay. the old airport. Because I know there's Paxson High School, and there a lot is. of my friends went there. Yes, Paxson High School. Yeah, yep, absolutely. And generally, there's also like where the field used to be is a industrial park. Okay. But Bessie's death was important. Bessie Coleman's death began the end mm-hmm. of flying circuses, and after her death, many cities banned the show of the flying circus or okay. the barnstormer. Because of the dangers? Because it was really freaking dangerous. Yeah, of course. And Bessie was honored, but it took a long time. In 1995, a U.S. Postal Service stamp was created in in Bessie Coleman's memory. Oh, that's awesome. In 2000, the Jacksonville Airport named several of the service roads after her. I think that's a little bit... I think they should have named the airport after her, but... Yeah. The Jackson International Jacksonville International Airport named service roads after her. 2006, she was enshrined with other legends like Neil Armstrong, Amelia Earhart in the National Aviation Hall of Fame. Awesome. In 2012, a plaque was placed at the entrance of the Paxton School for okay. Advanced Studies. Yeah. That school was built on the land previously occupied by the airfield where she died. The same year, a plaque was also placed in Waxahachie, Texas to pay tribute to her. And the Tuskegee Airmen still hold a flyover each Memorial Day in Chicago and they drop a wreath from an airplane on her grave. Ooh, that gave me goosebumps. Oh. That's nice. It was nice. Um, so that's the story. That was a pretty awesome story. And honestly, I I didn't know if I would be as entertained. Like people in the 20s were scandalous, man. Oh, yeah. Like. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> like Sh- by our, like multiple possible sugar daddies. Oh, like, yeah leaving husbands be like yeah i'm done with you but also i'm gonna like just like leave you hanging and go find another one right and i'm just gonna go do my own thing and coming up from just like these these rags to riches like mom could barely afford food and books and you just had like the the gumption i feel like gumption's a, a good descriptor yes to to get shit done but also Bessie was beautiful. And I'll post the pictures on Instagram and the Twitter so you can see it. But she was beautiful. So you can totally see that she is biracial. Mm -hmm. So she's, you can see a little Native American. So I'm pretty sure her dad was either fully Native American or half. But it's a lot to be said for the 19, for that era. Absolutely. For anyone other than basically a white person to Mm -hmm. do anything. I don't know who was discriminated against more whether it was Native Americans or whether Yo. it was like freed slaves. I mean, 
Oh, God. We don't want to have that conversation. Ooh. <laughs> like, I'm brown and I'm more upset over some of the shit that we've done to Native Americans. Oh, I know. Because it's just, it's it's an atrocity how we've treated the citizens of this country that helped develop these countries. I just, I don't, I don't understand. So the huge amount of oppression. Absolutely. I mean, just... And it's not just, it's not just, you know, Native Americans, it's Asians, it's Irish. Oh, yes, absolutely. It's literally anyone who didn't come from England. And then we also oppressed like half of them. Sure we did. Yeah, because they were a different religion or something. Absolutely. Because they were Catholic or whatever. It's just like, we hate you because you're Catholic. You go into the different building than we go into. Hey, you converting that oxygen to carbon dioxide, like, fuck you. Exactly. (laughs) <laughs> oh, we love to hate people back we do. then. We still, unfortunately, we still, we still do. But we're—I feel like we're getting better. Are we? I don't know. I feel like the people who are hating people are also just dying. Yeah, and I also feel like the people who were empowered by our previous administration have now like sort of climbed back under the rock. Yeah, I agree. I'm glad. Me too. But anyway, let me read my sources. I digress. Okay. Okay. So I had express permission from a a gentleman named Guy Franklin. Mm -hmm. He wrote the book called Bessie Coleman, The Rest of the Story. I contacted him. He was gracious enough to grant me permission to do more than just paraphrase his incredibly well-researched work. He let me essentially copy large pieces Mm -hmm. and put it together. So his writing was hard to improve upon. So I contacted him specifically to make sure that there were no copyright infringements. So I want to say thank you to Guy Franklin Absolutely. Great guy. Awesome researcher. Also, I used an article from the Smithsonian Magazine. I used an article from biography.com. And as usual, I used Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, that's the story. That was awesome. Thank you for sharing. Thanks for hosting me here. Yeah. And I, you know, I always, I always love it. A little hometown history for me, like growing right. up in Jacksonville and not knowing. And having friends that went to Paxson Absolutely. High School. Yeah. Like, I will drive past Edgewood and be like, huh, some dude crashed a plane into a tree there. I just, you know, the whole shock. When I read this, I was like, this is fucking badass. And the the crazy thing was that her, her driver mm-hmm. just kills him. And the cigarette. Just. Like, he probably, like, leaned back and crossed his legs. I, I bet. I mean, that's all I see is 100%. that he, like, runs up and he was like, fuck this guy. <laughs> I wonder if they made <laughs> eye contact. Like, he saw him do it. And they're like, I know you know that I'm about to fuck your life up <laughs> and you can't do anything about You're it. You're trapped in this is the end of you. Absolutely. Wow. It's like the ending scene to like a badass sequel of like some hero movie. I think Bessie was, went around and just captured everybody's, not only like the, the romance of flying and you know, huh. all of these things, but I think that she was probably just a really captivating person. Absolutely. She goes around capturing the hearts of all of these men. Obviously, mm-hmm. she's married twice when she dies. Yeah. <laughs> Not divorced, you know, and then she has all of these <laughs> other lovers and she's clearly like a person that people connect to. Yeah, she goes she goes after things and that that strong personality and yes. that in in the time where like women are subservient and especially, right. you know, African Americans are just very subservient, very docile, right. very yes ma'am, no ma'am, yes no sir, you know, that kind of thing. And she's just like, "No, like fuck this. I'm going to be my own person and has that that fortitude of character to like just get people to gravitate toward her. And imagine just how strong that would be in that age. Mm-hmm. Like seeing an empowered black woman. She's a pilot. She's fucking famous. She's killing it. Yeah. And then having a 
personal connection with her. I mean, that's really what the story's about, you know, Absolutely. is like that personal connection that people had with her. Obviously, she was such she was she fostered that connection really well. Absolutely. So it's awesome. I'm super happy to hear it. I can't <laughs> wait to share my new nugget of knowledge with people. There you go. Yeah. But anyway, thanks yeah. for having me. Of course. We're gonna wrap it up and I'll I'll have you on again for I'd some other show. I'd love to. I wanted to write another one, but I just didn't have time. I know. I didn't have, have time. time. <laughs> but anyway, I'll come back. I'll come okay. back. There's no worries. You better. <laughs> <laughs>